Welcome to the Olive Tree Church podcast channel. Whether you are listening in from our beloved Durban, South Africa, or from further away, we trust you feel welcome and included in what God is doing in our community, and that you feel inspired by today's message. Good morning and welcome. It is great to be with you. Um, I, just so you know, I spent some good quality time on the toilet uh, before coming here, actually since 4 a.m., and uh, and so there might need to be grace for Paul to finish off the message. But uh, so far, it's so good. So I'm being held together by Imodium and the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a good day. I have um, absolutely loved this series. I've loved the thinking and just like being saturated in the concept of grace. It has been so life-giving for me personally. And uh, so what began to happen is, Ames and I started talking about grace, uh, left, right, and center, and, and, and so what we would do is when she had a rough day or whatever, I would say to her, my baby, there's grace for this. And then um, if, if I went through something at work or, or I was struggling with something, she would, she would say, my babe, can I pray for you? There's grace for this. And this kept going, and it was so, so good for us in the beginning of the series. And then the one day she came through, and, and she'd probably got two or three hours sleep, and uh, she, she walked in, and I looked up at her, and I could see she was really tired. So I said to her, Dory, baby, there's grace for this. And when she looked back at me, I could see from her eyes that there was no grace for this. In fact, there was no grace for anything. I, I could see hell coming through her eyes. She wanted to destroy me. And then a little while later, she said to me, my baby, have you noticed that there's a recession happening over here on, on there's like a, a receder here. It's, it's like a recession. It's like the economy over there. And, and then she said, but don't worry, babe, there's grace for this. Uh, and, and so the, the grace for this went from, from really uplifting and edifying to really sarcastic and, and hurtful. But it has still produced great joy in our lives. What I realized uh, is how much I need it, how much I need grace. I, uh, I went surfing the other day, and as I paddled out. It was really big. Um, a big wave landed on me, and I thought I was, I was going to drown, and then I got washed all the way back in, which is about as humiliating as it gets for a surfer. And as I came out, uh, I came up to my wife, and she told me there's grace for this too. And, and then we, we started chatting, and I said to her, babe, I think I'm going through midlife crisis, because what's going on is that I believe that my body is 22 years old, but my body is telling me that it's 42 years old and I can't cope with stuff. I think this is what midlife crisis feels like. It's like there's a civil war going on in my brain and, and I'm in pain. And then I found a picture that, that kind of described what was going on inside of me. It's a picture of a frog. Uh, I was thinking of using a butterfly, but a, a frog actually depicts how it's feeling. That frog has a tail. So it, it thinks it's a frog, but it's, it's got a bit of tadpole in it, and it's, it's transitioning. And I realized that I am transitioning, but I, I can't let go of the part of me that wants to be 22 and still paddle, paddle out and get out. And the problem with that is that I'm struggling to get the grace that God has for the frog. I'm in transition. And I'm struggling with this moment. And what I realized with so many people right now is that there is so much transition happening that they can't cope with because they haven't got their heads around it. 
COVID is changing everything. And we weren't made to have change happen to us. We were made to start change in here, get our heads around it, and then the change happened. And when change is happening to us at the rate that it's happening to us, it derails us. Change is supposed to start, the Bible says, by the renewing of your mind. We, we, we're transformed by the renewing of your mind. In fact, I want you to watch this testimony of how change actually happens. As Luto shares with you what happened in his life as he struggled through a concept. And then I'm going to talk about transition. Growing up, I used to love rugby. And I used to love Brian Banner. I wanted to walk like him and talk like him, and so I dressed like him as well. My desk at school was full of his posters and cutouts of him. But if I wanted to play like him, which I believed I could at the time, I'd have to push past just believing it or saying it. I'd actually have to go out and practice. James makes the same point about faith in James 2 verse 14. It goes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if one of you claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. In the beginning, it was hard for me to get my head around the scripture. My high grace theology didn't accommodate it very comfortably. See, on one hand, scripture says and makes it very clear that it's by grace through faith alone that we can be saved. And the second problem is that I'd get stuck because I wanted to be like Jesus. But on the other hand, because of the way I thought about works, which I felt meant like trying to reach God's standard by your own effort, if anything didn't come natural, naturally to me, I didn't do it. And so I got stuck and I wasn't growing as a person. My environment outside of church wasn't being impacted. But while I was thinking about this one day, it came to me and I realized that actually, faith itself is acted out or else it dies as just a collection of thoughts. James makes this example about Abraham, who's called the father of faith. And Romans 4 says about Abraham, now Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That belief was acted out at some stage by him going out and choosing to try sacrifice his son because he believed God. I also thought of all the other times that Jesus said to someone, your faith has healed you. And in each instance, they'd done something because they believed Jesus could heal them. The thief on the cross asked, the lady with the bleeding reached out. The blind people cried out to him, and the four friends put their friend through the roof, bringing them to Jesus. All these were acts of faith, things they did because they believed in Jesus. And now look at it like this. I ask myself what I believe about God, and if I believe that He can provide for me financially and look after my needs, I can start practicing generosity with my finances. I can start giving with an open hand and tithing consistently. If I believe that he's, He loves me and calls me to love others, I can start practicing that love by being patient, kind, and slow to anger, and loving my enemies when they don't deserve it. And I believe that as I practice my faith, it comes alive inside of me and bears much fruit. What he believed. And as he changed what he believed, he began to receive or experience grace on that area. The, the way we change, the way we're transformed is by renewing our minds. And Lutz lives it out. As he, as he struggled through, as he wrestled through faith, grace began to flow. 
The problem is when you haven't got your heads around it. When uh, I went from two kids to three kids, I, I realized stuff just doesn't fit into the car anymore. It just doesn't work anymore. I'm struggling to work through what my head has not worked out. So much of life right now in COVID is stuff changing on the outside before our heads have got around it. We are kind of being attacked by change. There's change in the workspace. There's change in how we do community. There's change in where I can go to, where I can't go to, how I can go there. There's change in the economy. Everything's changing around us, and we haven't got our heads around the change. And whenever that happens, you experience shock. You, you have this experience of, of kind of, I thought it was going to be this way, and it turns out that way, or the change is happening so fast that I can't get my head around it, and my experience is I'm shocked. And the shock can feel as small as a speed bump, and it can feel like an earthquake. And the more rigid you are in your thinking, the more pain you're likely to experience. And for many people, you have a very clear idea about how the world works and how it's supposed to work and why things should work like this, this, and this. For, for people who are inflexible in their thinking, the amount of pain they're going through right now is huge. And it's why we're having explosions on social media. And, and Mark wrote that thing and 240,000 people saw it. And there's the grave stuff. And this stuff is all exploding because change is happening to us and we haven't got our heads around it. And so internally... We're getting derailed. I want to take you to a portion of Scripture where for this specific group of people, change was happening so fast around them that there was no way they could get their heads around the change. And they're almost ambushed by something God is doing in their midst. And I want to talk to you about how they struggled through it and some couldn't enter into the grace, and others entered into the grace because of the flexibility of their thinking. I'm going to take you to a text in Mark chapter 2. And Mark chapter 2, it says this, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours a new one into old wineskins. <clears throat> Next verse. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Jesus is speaking, and um, he's actually speaking, he's answering a question on fasting, but he's answering a much bigger question, and it's to the Pharisees and to John's disciples. But in order to understand the power of the Scripture, you have to understand the context. So Jesus has gone from <clears throat> being a carpenter one day, to someone who they're tearing roofs off to literally get to the next day. It's, it's in an instant Jesus' ministry has taken off. And so Jesus does a couple of things that would have burst the thinking of people in that day. The first is this. He, he's walking down the road one day, and a leper comes up to him. Now, you've got to understand, lepers in those days, it was like people with COVID. They were, you did not want to be around lepers. Lepers were seen to be defiled spiritually and physically. And so here's how it worked. There were, there were three people in the Old Testament that were cursed by God and landed up with leprosy. 
Miriam, Moses' sister. There was Gehazi, who was Elijah's uh, servant. And there was Uzziah, the, the king, who walked into the Holy of Holies, thinking that he could, presuming that he could go in there. And all three landed up with leprosy. So the way Israelites thought about leprosy is that they believed that leprosy was a sign of you being cursed by God for sin in your life. In fact, if you were a parent back in that day and you wanted to make sure your kids behaved well, that they didn't sin, you would point to a leper and you would say to them, you see that person. Some of you are thinking of doing this. You see that person. That is the result of sin that got into their hearts and it began to grow and grow and grow until it permeated all of their lives. And now they are defiled. That person comes to Jesus. And his disciples would have been going, no, Jesus, don't go near him. No, Jesus, you can't touch him. And Jesus walks up to him, and it says he touches him, but the word he uses is an intimate touching. It's like Jesus went up to him, and he hugged him. And everybody's going, you can't do that. Now you're going to have to spend seven days in quarantine, not 10, not 14, seven days in quarantine. And then the, the priest's going to have to look at you and make sure that you're not defiled, and then you're going to have to offer a sacrifice. And they're watching this. And their lives and thinking is being imploded. And as they're watching, this man gets healed. And his skin is perfect. Jesus is moving in a power and a grace that their thinking cannot cope with. Now, the Pharisees find out about this. And uh, what begins to happen is, is they talk. And they're trying to work out what happens. So <clears throat> they decide... We're going to go listen to Jesus speak. And Jesus, the one day he's teaching, and there are people with this paralyzed friend, and they rip open the roof because they can't get to him, and they let down this paralyzed person to the ground. I want you to just think about the paralyzed person. Imagine every single day of your life, because it says he was born paralyzed. Imagine every day you wake up, and your expectation is that this day is going to suck. But on this day, his friends bring him to Jesus. He comes down. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, your faith. He mentions his faith and he says, your faith. He looks, sees his faith and he says, your faith has caused you to have your sins forgiven. He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And everybody, all the Pharisees who imagine you've got people don't have enough empathy for the Pharisees because think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees have given their lives to completely understanding absolutely everything about the law so that they can know God. They, they see the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, as God himself. They, every single element of there, they've given themselves to obeying the law, understanding it, making sure that they can jump through all its hoops so that they can experience the blessing of God. They hear this man say, your sins are forgiven. And the only thing they can think is, only God can forgive sins. Who the hell does he think he is? And Jesus looks at them. And he doesn't slow down the change. He doesn't like, go easy on them. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And then he turns to the man and he says, but so that I can show you that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I say to you, pick up your mat and walk. And this man walks. And when something like that happens to you, and you've spent your entire life framing your world on this is how it works, 
and then it works different, something derails. And the Pharisees, they don't know what to do with us. There's, there's an explosion of that doesn't make sense that just happened to them. And then Jesus turns to them and he starts speaking. And we're going to go back to that scripture now. He says this, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. Just hold that up there. So here's what it's saying. If, if you get a, a piece of new garment and you put it onto an old garment, it will shrink and it'll, it'll rip away. And then he goes on and he says, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. <clears throat> Next, next verse, because, next verse, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. Here's how that works. Wine was, um, when, you, when you got a piece of leather that was, you were going to make out of a skin, it was flexible because it had, it had oils and it had a whole bunch of um, makeup in it that, that had flex. But after you'd poured the wine in, the wine would ferment and it would stretch the wineskin. And once it had been stretched, it had no more flex in it. it couldn't, you couldn't put new wine in again that was going to ferment and it was going to expand again because it would burst the wineskin. This is what he's saying. But the thing about wineskins and the thing about cloth is that the way they're shaped is, is through fabric that's interwoven and cells that are jointly connected. They're, they're like ideas and beliefs that are interwoven to shape a worldview. And what Jesus was saying is, your worldview can't hold my grace. Your worldview is going to explode with my grace. Now I want to show a testimony in a moment of, of a worldview that exploded with grace. But again, I want you to understand, for these Pharisees, if you've lived your whole life believing that you will be blessed if you obey, you will be cursed if you disobey, living your whole life thinking that there was a way that you could get God to love you, getting, living your whole life as though you could somehow do something that would shift God, and then you see someone come along and say, say, it's not about what you can do for me. This is going to be about what God wants to do for you. When you start to see stuff like him giving away forgiveness, giving away righteousness because of his own obedience, when you see that as a Pharisee, it is just blowing up your mind. And so the Pharisees, who couldn't handle grace, began to, to derail. And many of them could never experience the grace that was standing in front of them and died in their sin. Many, the Bible tells us, after Christ was crucified, became Christians, and they began to experience the grace. But here's what happened. Their wineskin had to change. Now, I want you to watch Natalie's testimony of her wineskin needing to change so that God could pour new wine into this. Watch this. A few years ago, our church community had a complete tragedy that took place. A young man who had so much promise, who was so loved, who was such a core part of our community, was killed in a tragic accident. Um, just moments after leaving an, an event where there was a whole lot of our youth and young adults all together, 
he was driving a skateboard home and was killed. Um, unfortunately, the driver didn't stay at the scene and so none of us really knew what had happened. And in a state of trauma and heartbreak, we assumed the worst and very quickly, um, I suppose, considered him as an enemy, the bad guy. A few days later, I received a phone call from a woman that I had just begun to journey with. In fact, she had just come to our church for the first time the Sunday before and loved it and wanted to bring her family back. As I hung up, I just knew that she was involved on the other side of the story. And so I went into this meeting uh, with people who were talking about what had happened, um, discussing who the driver might be, and I sat there with this knowledge that I shouldn't even really have. I know that sometimes it's so crazy to think of, of hearing the voice of God, that when we hear people saying, God told me, it can sound so crazy. And sometimes we can also think that it's kind of reserved for the prophets and the pastors and the elders and church people, um, but it isn't. Um, for anybody who has chosen to follow Jesus or understand him more or surrender to him, they're able to hear the voice of God. And sometimes it is like a voice. Sometimes it's just a thought that is foreign to us and drops into our heart. Sometimes it's a scripture bouncing out, or sometimes it's just doing something that's out of the ordinary for us. I know that there are probably plenty of times where I haven't heard the voice of God, but this moment was one where I knew I'd heard it. And now I sat there just completely at war with what to do with this information. On the one hand, I wanted to flee. I didn't want to step into what looked like the enemy camp. Um, and I nearly phoned her and canceled meeting. But I suddenly realized that God had given me this information for a reason. It was this prompting of His Spirit, and His Spirit, um, His wine, needed me to have a new wineskin in order to do what needed to be done in that moment. And so I didn't cancel, and what unfolded was, in many ways, a completely strange situation where our one pastor was sitting with the family who was grieving, and I was sitting with the wife of the driver who had caused that grieving. It really was a moment where I had to change my mind in order to be what was needed in that moment. Because the reality is, regardless of right or wrong or what needed to happen or what was the right moral thing to happen, God only saw two families whose lives had been changed in the same moment. And regardless of the right and the wrong and the everything that we kind of feel that we need answers to. He saw two families who desperately needed love and comfort. And that's what needed to happen in that moment. This story, as Jesus is telling it, is to a bunch of Pharisees who were so often angered and offended by what Jesus said. And the reason that they so often found themselves angry about what Jesus was saying is because they lived their lives to please Him. They thought that if they did X, Y, and Z, they would please Him. And God's greatest goal for our lives is not that we please Him, but actually that we trust Him. And so what happened in this moment is that in my um, desire to please God, I could have thought I shouldn't be a part of this side of it. This is the wrong side. This is not um, what you would want from me, God. And, and knowing also how many people I love so dearly who were grieving and hurting terribly, um, that I was potentially stepping into the role of a traitor um, and that I could be in some way, I suppose, losing you know, God's pleasure over me. I nearly didn't do what was required in that moment. I nearly wasn't able to change my mind in a moment that allowed kingdom to break out in that moment. And so what I realized had to happen in that place was that rather than trying to please God, I had to simply trust Him. I had to trust Him with 
the right and the wrong and the justice um, and simply go, what in this moment does love require of me? I know that there are so many times where our own opinion and our own what's right, what's wrong, what should happen, what shouldn't happen, can actually stand in the way of us changing our minds. It can stop us from being able to hold new wine because we're keeping our old wine skin. And so today, I think the question that I would ask myself and each of us is what do we need to change our minds about? Where is God trying to pour new wine into an old wineskin that will stop grace from flowing through us and into others' lives? Where do you need to change your mind so that His grace can flow into a situation that so desperately needs it? Where do you need to change your mind? Where do you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? I was part of that, um, that whole experience. I, I did the funeral. And I remember how my mind had to shift so that God's grace could flow into that entire situation of people and pain all over, all over the show. But what I've realized in life is that there are Christians who wake up with a mind that is able to hold the wine. And this is what I'm wanting for you. They wake up and they expect that today I'm going to be blessed. Today I'm going to feel the favor of God. Today I, I'm, I'm going to experience success. Today I'm going to have the peace and the joy of God with me. Today I'm going to feel a, a richness of life, an abundance of joy. There'll be shalom. It'll flow all over me. Today there is grace that's going to work all over my life. And they're Christians Today, and it might be because of the Lord, it might be because of disappointment, it might be because of hurt, it might be because of the economy, it might be because, be because of a whole bunch of things who wake up in the morning going, life's hard. Life sucks. I'm not sure if there's grace for today. And if you're one of these people, because generally what happens is you, you put your heart out there and it gets broken and then you put it out again and it gets broken and you put it out again and, and it happens in business, it happens in relationships, it happens in family, it happens in marriage and you get to this place where I have put myself out there so many times and I have been rejected so many times, I've felt the same experience so many times that I don't believe that this could ever happen for me. And when you've got there, you get into protect mode, and what happens is that your wineskin becomes rigid, and God can't pour his new wine in. And then what you do is you pray and hope for a miracle, but you don't want to put your heart out there to trust that it could actually happen, and you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, this is what I realized. I realized God will break through. Because grace is bigger than faith. But God wants you to partner with him by saying words like, my best days are ahead. You know, I went through a period of, of, of a lot of loss in life. And uh, I woke up the one morning and, I, and God said to me two things. He said, I make all things new and your best days are ahead. And I just... I want you, if, especially if you're in the camp of life is hard, life hurts. I want you to just say these words over yourself. God makes all things new 
and my best days are ahead. You see, even saying those things is sometimes hard. If you've gone through enough pain, it's much easier to say things about what's wrong than it is to say things that give you a glimmer of hope. But what a new wineskin requires is changing the way I think. And the way I change how I think is I look at the promises of God and I look at what he says and I go, I don't understand how we're going to survive this. I don't know if my business is going to make it. But what I know is that my God shall provide all my needs according to his riches and glory. I don't know how I'm going to land up with lots of friends and abundance of life and health, but I know that my God cares for me. I know that my God, who didn't spare his one and only son, how much more will he not give me Christ and all things? I know that my God, there's, there's no way that his love could be stopped, that neither angels nor demons nor failures nor of past or present or future, there's nothing that can stop the love of God from breaking into my life. A changing of the wineskin requires you looking at the scriptures and staring at them and speaking them over your life until they begin to transform a belief system that allows you to hold the wine of God. You see, so many of us, we're praying for God to do a miracle so that I can believe. And God's asking you, to change how you think so that he can pour out grace. The miracle may happen, but the grace is a promise that just flows. The grace of, I will give you strength. I will give you peace. I will provide for you. I will get you through this. Your best days are ahead of you. They're not behind you. Grace and mercy will follow you all of the days of your life. You've got to speak that stuff. You've got to live that stuff. You've got to stare at that stuff until it changes what you believe about your reality and it begins to allow grace to flow because then you land up like the frog and not the flipping tadpole. And as I watch people and so much trauma, because what's happening right now is traumatic. We haven't even had time to process our loss. I know this, that if you will focus on your wineskin, on changing what you believe, I know that my God will pour out a wine of his Holy Spirit, a grace that you've never experienced before, that will literally flood every part of your mind, body, and soul, and it will make you contagious. And so as you go today, I'm praying that you will do the hard work of changing what you believe so that grace flows. And so I'm going to pray for you. I want to remind you that tonight at 6, we're going to be watching The Chosen. It's going to be a really great experience. So please join us at 6 p.m. live. But I want to pray for you. And so if, you, if you're at home, why don't you just lift your hands and pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, will you speak your promises over me? When I read the Bible... Lord, will you cause them to become revelation to me? When I'm walking around, God, will you remind me of them? And God, will you help me to change my wineskin so that I can hold your wine, that it doesn't just keep bursting out on the floor, but that I'll be able to live in it and I'll be able to hold it and I'll be able to so delight in it so that I can be a blessing to this world. Come and change me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.